going to be talking about a tough subject today. We're going to be talking about forgiveness today again. Some of you sent me questions and asked some questions about forgiveness. And I want to try to deal with some of these as we go along in the passage. Uh, you talked to me, came up to me and asked me some questions, many of you, which I'm thankful for that. And um, most of the questions center around the same thing. And there's one main question you ask, and we'll try to deal with that as we go along today. Uh, let's look at Luke 17 and, 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 and dig in. Uh, last time, we began to examine Jesus' exhortation to his disciples to love one another by avoiding being a stumbling block and by being ready to forgive one another. These were the two main commands that he gave. Uh, to avoid being a stumbling block and be ready to forgive continuously. We talked about how many of Christ's commands to His own were developments of this main command to love your fellow believers. And forgiveness is one of those ways that we show love to one another. For us to fully grasp this concept of forgiveness, we need to back up and get the broader context for Jesus and His disciples. We need to understand what they thought of forgiveness and look at other passages and see how Jesus addresses this topic, this subject of forgiveness. Just to set the context, forgiveness was unheard of in the Jewish religious system of Jesus' day. Forgiveness was seen as earned not graciously granted. In order to get forgiveness, you must pay a person back in order to get it, just like their relationship with God. The proof of this is found whenever the subject's revealed. Everywhere we look in almost all the passages, there's hints of it throughout it. So, turn in your Bible first over to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to deal a little bit with this concept of forgiveness. I do want to let you know that this sermon is very teacher-focused. In other words, there's going to be a lot of details that we're going to be covering, and it's going to take a little bit more attention than normal. You're really going to have to pay attention and focus, Um, but because we're going to be covering a lot. And and I I confess that uh, as I read three books and worked through three books on this subject, um, I'm still feel like I'm probably not going to even scratch the surface of this topic. This is something that I strongly advise you to study on your own. You really need to spend some time getting your head and heart around forgiveness and what's entailed. But I want you to notice in in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows that the disciples should avoid being like the false religious system they lived in. And the Sermon on the Mount kind of hints at this and and talks about it several times. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And then what he does, what Jesus does, is he starts to give some specifics on how people do religious things, but it's for the wrong reason. Their motives are wrong. They do it to be seen by men. And ultimately, everything that they did religiously was backwards from the way God had intended it. And we see this in Matthew chapter 6 with giving, for example. In verses 2 through 3, he says... When you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet. In other words, give and don't let anybody know that you're giving. Keep it quiet so nobody sees it. See, religion was based on getting somebody's approval. Give, here, I'm giving now, notice what I'm giving. And it was so that man would approve you. So it was all about the approval of man. And the same thing happens in prayer. For example, in 5 through 6, he talks about when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. 
for they stand to be seen in their prayer. They pray so people see them. So when we pray, we're not about to be pray- We're not supposed to be doing this prayer so everybody notices you. Go to your closet and pray. It's not about other people noticing you. And then you see again in another aspect of prayer. He says, when you pray, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. In other words, don't just repeat the same things over and over and over and over with no meaning. Have content to your prayer. In other words, what he's saying in this sermon is everything you think about religion, the opposite is true. Don't go about religion to earn the favor of God or earn the favor of man. And this goes the same way with forgiveness. We'll see in a second. Even fasting, though. In 16 through 18, briefly, when you fast, make sure nobody knows you're fasting. Otherwise, if you're fasting and everybody knows, then you're doing it for what? People to approve you, right? Well, we've got this same kind of reversal of thought process in the prayer content that he gives. That's where we get our Lord's Prayer, right? Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be our name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. There it is. That's that shocking little phrase. And you say, oh, that's not a shocking phrase for us. No big deal. Well, it was a shocking phrase for them. You know why we know it's shocking? Because he gives more details about forgiveness later on after the prayer. They didn't explain it more. He didn't explain the other concepts. But look at verse 14. He starts to explain forgiveness. Notice he says, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now wait a second. We see a pattern here, don't we? Everything they thought, the opposite is true. Everything they thought about religion, the opposite is true. Now he says forgiveness is based on forgiving others. Now, at first glance, I don't know about y'all, but I, when I see that, I think, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. Freeze frame. It is not about earning right standing with God, right? I don't do works to get something, correct? Yet here we have a conditional phrase. If you forgive others, if you forgive others for their transgression, your heavenly Father will forgive you. So it's conditional. And in verse 15... But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Let me ask you a question. Will God forgive you if you don't forgive others? (laughs) Will God forgive you if you don't forgive others? Frey says no. That's what it says, right? Well, what's this mean? What's this mean? If you do not forgive others, then your Father will will not forgive your transgressions? Well, it means this. You ready? If you have an unforgiving heart towards other people, God will not forgive you of your sins. Really? Really? Again, the world Jesus lived in, they thought what? Works righteousness, right? They thought people have to earn a right standing, right? They thought forgiveness, that isn't even a concept. No way. I'm not even going there with forgiveness. They have to earn my favor back. And he says, unless you forgive, you're not forgiven. What's he saying? The way of true righteousness, folks, is not found 
in self-justification. It's found in a work of God in our hearts. And listen to me closely. We must have a repentant trust and understanding of God's forgiveness for us. We must have a heart change in order for us to be forgiven. That's a fact. Everybody knows this, right? You have to repent and believe. If you repent and believe, what do you know? You're forgiven. And if you know that you're forgiven, what is the natural consequence of all hearts that are forgiven? You forgive others. You do it. What's the point? The point is this. A regenerate, born-again believer is forgiven by God, and so therefore, we do what? We do what He did. We forgive. Now, does us giving forgiveness to somebody earn us a right standing? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, because you are right with God, because you have been forgiven, you understand this, and therefore your life is about forgiving other people. That's what you're about. That's interesting. He's assuming forgiveness is a pattern of our life, believer. That's what we're all about. We are about forgiving people. Being ready all the time. Why? Because we've been forgiven. We get it. We understand we don't deserve it. Why is this true? Because we've been forgiven. The believer is ready to forgive because they know they deserve judgment themselves. They're ready to forgive always and under all circumstances because God has given them a new heart and they know His forgiveness. So born-again believers, forgive others and get and understand God's ongoing daily forgiveness of them. We are forgiven all the time. We're constantly being forgiven, aren't we, believers? So for us to turn around and forgive people is, and be ready to forgive people is like, that's our life. That's what we're about. So the natural question would be this. If you are holding sin against people, if you are harboring sin against people, and that people have hurt you and you will not let it go and you just can't comprehend this, and you will not, what does it say about our heart? Do we really understand forgiveness? Now that's hard to hear for those that have been hurt really bad. And I can't comprehend all those things. But I will tell you this, the more we see the gospel, and we see how sinful our heart is, the more we see how wretched we are and what we really deserve, we will then be ready to forgive others. Do you understand? Jesus is talking this way. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees taught, elevate yourself over the one who offends you. Make them pay retribution before you forgive them. Make them grovel. Make them beg. Make them plead. Matter of fact, make them pay. That's what they thought. Jesus says, no, 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 believer. Believers, you're not like that. You forgive. You're seeking God for forgiveness and you're forgiven all the time. That's what you're about. We saw the same concept in the parable of the prodigal son, didn't we? Remember the parable of the prodigal son? The prodigal was pretty bad, wasn't he? And as he was bad, we think, the Jews, as they tell this story, what are the Jews thinking? Whoa. <laughs> what in the world's he doing? Yeah, wow, exactly. <laughs> what, what in the world is this father doing? He's running to meet the son? No, make him beg. Make him come back here. And pay every cent back and beg. 
But the father runs to him and has his arms out. He's ready. He's there. This is so contrary to the way the Jewish world thought at that time. And ladies and gentlemen, it's contrary to the way we think. We are often all about working to get a person right with us again. Your forgiveness isn't good enough. You better do something to make up for it. Come on. You owe me. The problem was, our hearts are wicked. Their hearts were wicked. And we need to understand that we are forgiven much. And when we understand that, we will forgive. So the question is, is our passage in Luke 17 about confronting people with sin? Is our passage, and we'll look at in a second, Matthew 18, about confronting people with sin? Well, there is an element of confronting with sin, but that is not the main focus. <laughs> See, the Jews were really good at confronting sin. <laughs> that was not the problem. They could whack anybody at any time for anything, and did all the time. You live in a Pharisee's house, ladies and gentlemen, it is a hard place to live. Because they walk around telling everybody what they're doing wrong all the time. Why? Because they are elevating themselves over that person. Whether it's their kid or their spouse or whatever. They're, hey, I'm better than that person. And the way that I can be better is to show them that their sin is bad. So the issue in Luke 17 and the issue in Matthew 18 even is not let's go confront this is so important because I think all too often we have taken this passage and we, and even Matthew 18, and made it about us confronting people. Now, again, I want you to understand something. As we go along, this does not mean that there's not a place for confronting. Understand that. But motives, 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 motives are most important. Why? Why are you confronting somebody? That's important. The problem was not confronting sin. The problem was forgiving people. <laughs> that was the problem. And these passages that we, in the real conservative group, we have a tendency to use these passages as the main beat stick for confronting people. And yet that is not the main point of the passage. The main point of the passage is to be ready to forgive, to show reconciliation and restoration. Do you understand? It's to show the love of Christ. That should be the goal going in. As we look, look back at Luke 17. He says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, return to you and, and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. As we looked at this verse last time, I want to remind you that little phrase, be on your guard. In light of the context again, and how the disciples were taught the opposite. The idea is, be on your guard, brothers and sisters, who sin against you. You must be ready to forgive them. That's the point. Be ready to forgive. That's his point. In your heart, be ready to forgive. That's the point. It's not, be ready to confront them. <laughs> All too often we read this message. Be ready to confront. Oh, I saw somebody. Got to go over there and talk to them. Oh, I saw that. Oh, oh, there's another one. That's not what he's saying. Be on guard for others. It says be on guard for yourself. It's literally how you could translate that. Why? You must be ready to forgive. Ready to forgive. Again, they lived in that society and time that taught them from the youngest age, elevate yourself above other people. So when somebody hurts you, make them pay you back. 
Make them earn your forgiveness. But Jesus is saying the opposite. Be ready. Look for opportunities to forgive all the time. At any moment. You see this with Peter grappling with a very similar setting as Matthew 18. He's grappling with it. Now when he gets to the end, Jesus gets to the end of talking about the confronting part. He doesn't, Peter doesn't ask the questions that we're all asking in our circles. Our circles are, when we finish Matthew 18, our circles are asking this question. Okay, so when should we confront? And, 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 and should we forgive if they don't come and repent? That's our circles. Our circles are asking that question. They're saying, should we forgive if they don't repent and turn to us and ask for sorry? Peter doesn't ask that question. Look over at Matthew 18. It's interesting what he asks. He doesn't ask that question. Look at Matthew 18. And this is, again, I don't think it's an exact parallel passage. In other words, it's not happening at the exact time, but I do think it happened right after it, or similarly right there in the same time frame. The reason why is because I think Peter's question points to Luke 17. I think he sees this big picture and he starts to understand, "Uh uh-oh, forgiveness means a lot. Letting a lot go. Letting people, woo, giving lots of tolerance and grace and mercy. Lots of it. Look, Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins, go and show him his faults or fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if Two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Ladies and gentlemen, by the way, just a side note on this. This is the most horribly misquoted verse in all the Bible. Verse 20. It's the one that we all say in our prayers. We've all done it. If you own it, you've done it. Well, Lord, where there's two or three are gathered, that means you're in our midst. You've heard it in the prayer. Let's pray that that never happens in Grace Bible Church ever. Because it has absolutely nothing to do with that. You're in your prayer closet. He tells us to go to prayer closet and pray. Guess where he is? There. You're talking to him. This prayer is talking about the context of going and confronting people in the authority of Christ. That's the emphasis. And that God is with us as we go in order to help them be restored with God. That's the point. God's with us in hoping that they will be restored and working to restore them. Now, a couple of observations, though. Let's look at this. Look at this passage. You're looking at your Bible at the same time. Listen again. I'm not going to do a full exposition of this passage, but I want to show you some things in here. First, This passage is all about reconciliation. It's all about reconciliation. It must be our desire, brothers and sisters, when we go to somebody to confront them, the idea is to restore them, not to make them feel horrible. It's not about smashing them. It's not about making yourself look better than them. It's about restoring them and reconciling them. Second, the confrontation starts in private. It starts in private. In other words, it's you go into them not trying to embarrass them or make them look bad in front of everybody else. And it's also not one of these. Boy, I saw such and such do this the other day. Should I go confront them? 
What's the point there? Why are you telling somebody else that? Are you really seeking wisdom for it? Or is it that you're just wanting to make yourself look good and say, I caught somebody doing sin? That's not what it's about. The process, third, the process has multiple steps. But it should always, in all the steps, has the goal of reconciliation. Fourth, the final step here is meant to bring the gospel to bear on the person by more people with the hope that they will reconcile. In other words, we want the gospel to call you to repentance. Treat them as a Gentile means give them the gospel so that they will be reconciled. The desire is for them to be right with God. I think we take it so far, oh, no, it can't be a part of us. I think that would be a fourth step talked about in Corinthians. The often misinterpreted verse, like I told you, is not about, in verse 20, is not about uh, prayer. It's ultimately about authority and, and God's presence in us going to them. Six, the passage does not tell us how long each step is going to take. Did you see that? Jesus didn't tell us, confront, and then go to second step, and it doesn't tell you how long that's going to be. So what does that mean? It could be a long time. How long? Doesn't tell us. Why didn't he give us those answers? Take it up with the king. <laughs> Maybe, 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 maybe he wants us to seek him. Maybe he wants us to depend on him and make sure our hearts are right before we start going down steps like this. Seventh, the passage does not tell us to do this every time someone hurts us. I know you say when a person hurts you. It doesn't say every time, though. Ladies and gentlemen, again, I believe this passage is all about seeking to restore and reconcile sinful patterns in people's lives. Now, you say, what? Well, I don't think he's talking about the small sins. Now, let me tell you why. Again, that would be making us confronters. That would be making us Pharisees. <laughs> we would have a tendency, he knows our hearts, where our tendency is that. To go around going boom, 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 boom. Constantly looking out. Let's talk and, and, and think through this a little bit. If we, let me ask you a question. If you were confronted for every sin that you've had today, Today, by your spouse or your child, how many times would you have been confronted? I don't know about you, but I can see why he said seven times in a day. It's at least that, right? Seven, the perfect number. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, come on. You gotta be careful. Y'all understand? It's gotta be pattern that he's talking about here. Even when you look at first and second Corinthians, he's talking about a really wicked lifestyle pattern where he tells them to put them outside the church. I mean, this is a wicked pattern. Are the other things sin? That's a great question. I think so. They are sin. I know so. Anytime that we don't honor God with a thought, that's a sin. Now, we kind of cover those ourselves. We, oh, you know, it's a lesser sin. The whole point of the passage is a desire to see your brother or sister walk and enjoy God. It's not about elevating yourself. Ninth, it also does not tell us how long we should let the person contemplate and meditate whether to repent. It doesn't tell that either. So now think about this. Have you ever been confronted by a sin and immediately you thought what? Wait, wait, I didn't mean that. I didn't do that. 
you, you missed my point. That's not really what I was getting at. When it really was what you were getting at, and you really did sin, and you go, you go away, you're laying in your bed, you're reading your Bible, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was sin. That was sin. And you, oh, yeah, I got yeah, I got to go talk to her. I gotta go talk to her, yeah, because that was sin, obviously, that was sin. But it took you a day for you, for God, the Spirit, to take the word and penetrate your heart. He doesn't give times and how fast. He doesn't give that. So what are we supposed to do? We're ready to forgive. If we match these with Luke 17, we're, we're ready. We go. We're ready to embrace, reconcile, everything's good. If it doesn't automatically happen, that's okay. Because I'm not sovereign over the person's heart. That's okay. That doesn't matter. I'm ready. All that matters is I'm ready to forgive. That's all that matters. My responsibility is to be ready. At all times, anytime, all the time. Continuously. You get it? That's my responsibility. That's your responsibility when you're confronting somebody. Just ready. Let me give you a scenario, and you tell me if this fits the passage. You and your wife are talking, and all of a sudden, you get a little self-focused, and you say something like, you're not a very good steward of our money. Bang! You're not a very good steward of our money. Your motive is to elevate yourself over her. She replies, well, honey, you are not a very good steward of our children. You don't spend much time with them. You then raise your voice and you say, well, when we were dating, you said you were going to let me make the decisions on big money issues. What was that? That was sin. That was sin. That statement was sin. She replies, well, you used to spend money more more of the time on me when we were dating. So, question. Who's at fault and who needs to be confronted? Both of you. Both of you. Both of you sinned. Okay, so you're you're sitting here and... You're praying. Oh, man, she was wrong in bringing that stuff up. She was wrong. I'm going to confront. Matthew 18 says if my sister sins against me, I'm supposed to go confront. What do we get? Neither one of you are ready. Neither one of you. Matthew 18 does not apply to that circumstance. It does not apply to that circumstance. You are both wicked, wretched sinners. Both of you need to repent. Both of you need to go to the other person, not expecting them to say sorry at all. Not expecting, but go with the whole purpose of saying, I own it. Because you've gotten to the point of repentance at that point, hopefully. Their heart might not be there. But you're not sovereign over their heart. So you go to them and say, I own it, I was a sinner. This I said was wrong. This I said was wrong. This I said was wrong. Will you forgive me? And they go, sure, I'll forgive you. You say, I love you. And you walk away. You're thinking, well, why didn't she ask for forgiveness? (laughs) And then you got to ask the question, why did you really go? Why did you go? Did you go get the, go to get the sorry? Or did you go to own your sin? Listen. Here's what I want guys in the room to get. This is for you. Here's what being a leader is. You ready? 
Being a leader in your home, here's what it is. You ready? Be the best repenter in your home. That's what you need to be. You better be the one that shows repentance better than anybody else in the home. That's what a true leader is. It's a high responsibility, man, isn't it? It means you've got to be humble. By the way, ladies, get this, single ladies, I guess if there was one characteristic that you ought to look for in a guy, it's a man that owns his sin. A man that's a repentant man. You don't want somebody that cleans it up on the outside. You want a repentant man. Run from one of those that thinks he's good. You want broken men. What we have here, folks, is a perfect case of sin piling on sin. That's what that was. It's not Matthew 18. So how should we deal with this? Well, we need to repent. Personally repent. So does Matthew 18 apply to every circumstance? I don't believe it does. By the way, there are other passages on church discipline that have some different details. Sometimes with going quicker, faster to step three. There's other passages that talk about a quicker step. If somebody's doing false teaching, they need to be gone right away. I mean, it doesn't always fit into Matthew 18. But I believe Jesus' main point in Matthew 18 and Luke 17 is always be ready to forgive and reconcile with people that hurt you. That's the main point. Does confrontation, is confrontation included? Yes. But I want you to notice Peter's question. And again, he doesn't ask the question, when do I confront, when not to confront. He doesn't ask those questions. Look what he asks. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? That's Luke 17. He said seven times in a day, remember? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. <laughs> in other words, Peter... Get ready to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive constantly. Either way, Peter's struggling with what? How many times should I forgive? How many times? Again, the idea is, okay, Jesus, you're calling us to forgive. I'm not supposed to ask for payment back. I'm not supposed to be like those Jews that are all about self-righteousness. And I'm supposed to forgive. Is there a limit to my forgiveness? <laughs> How much should I put up with? Again, this is totally foreign to the Jewish culture. This is totally foreign to the religious system. Jesus answered Peter and says this, Forgive far beyond what you can ever keep up with with a calculator. In other words... Forgive without keeping record. Forgive without keeping a record 490 times. I don't think Jesus is saying, okay, Peter, start counting. Think about it. Okay, oh, that's one. Got two. We're at three. We're at 396. We're getting there. It's almost over. I'm almost to 490. Then I've had enough of you. You start paying me back then. Oh. Forgive without counting. Ready to forgive. Ready to reconcile. Ready all the time. All the time. By the way, this implies something. We will sin against each other over and over and over again. Did you hear me? I mean, right? 490 times, that implies somebody's going to be coming to me regularly. This is an ongoing thing. Just, just a side note, and this is when the spouses all go, <laughs> I love his face. Uh, 
<laughs> How many times have we asked our wives to forgive us the last couple of weeks? How many times have we really owned our sin in front of our spouses in the last couple of weeks? Anybody see you sin in the last couple of weeks and you've just not owned it? Maybe we just need to follow the word and repent and ask for forgiveness. And folks, listen, do you continuously have that little storage device in your mind where you say, okay, you did it again. I want to warn you of something. When you do that, you are being a Pharisee. You are being a Pharisee. Because what you are doing is you're elevating yourself over the person that has sinned against you. You are saying, you did it then, you did it then, you did it then. That's three. I'm here. You're here. Me, you. Me, you. That's Pharisee. Keeping a record of wrong is a Pharisee. But in this passage, we do see there is an element of confronting people. I agree. We can hide it or deflect it all we want, but confronting a person is part of our life. And there is an element of conditionality in this passage. You can't get away from it. Luke 17 and Luke 18 or in Matthew 18 they both show a conditional aspect of forgiveness. It does have some condition to it in these passages. So what do we do with that conditionality? That if they repent then you forgive. What do we do with that? Do we just say, well, it can't be? No. It's there. It's true. Now, what do we do with it? We submit to it. Yes, if a person in a pattern of unrepentant sin, and we see it, we should confront them graciously, lovingly, with their best interest at heart. But the whole reason is for their good and God's glory, not because we got our feelings hurt. Get it. Important. If we go and confront a person so that they will say sorry, we're probably missing it. If it's all about just getting the sorry, then that's missing it. If the whole purpose is for reconciliation and for their good and God's glory, then we got it. How many of you confront with those kind of motives? I don't know about you, but often my, for, my confronting is, you inconvenience me, so change. It's not... You've offended God. This hurts you. I love you. Oh, I want my relationship with you to be right. A good test to see if our hearts are ready to go confront a person is this. Ask yourself, why are you wanting to confront? And what do you expect to receive when you're, you confront them? What do you expect to get back? If you expect a sorry, you're in trouble. Because that's not your position. That is like going and evangelizing and expecting somebody to automatically respond to you what you say all the time. And that is playing sovereignty of God in a person's heart, and that is not our job. Our job is to proclaim the gospel. That's what our job is. Proclaim it. Proclaim it. Throw it out there. Throw it out there. Throw it out there. And let God do what He wants. The desire can be for them to be restored, but the desire must, that desire must be the primary one. If we are confronting to get an apology, not to see the person reconciled to God, we've missed it. Don't go confront yet. It's all about what they get, not what you get. Mark that down. Listen, get it, get the gist. It's about what they get, not what you get. That's when we confront. What they get, not what we get. Other self-centered. If we are confronting, expecting an apology, like I said, we're falling into that trap of thinking we're sovereign over another person's heart. We must be ready to forgive, confront with the purpose of seeing them reconciled. 
and trust God. And when you confront, you must go just like you are bringing the gospel over and over. By the way, I fully believe sometimes God does not always convict the sinning brother, as I said, or sister right away. This is common, isn't it? And if we get angry when a person doesn't respond with repentance, we've revealed that our heart is really not right in going and confronting them. We really don't care about them. We want the apology. So, for us to forgive immediately, we must be ready to forgive. We must be fully aware that we have our own sin and that it needs to be exposed too. We must have the other person's good and God's glory in mind. So, I want to give a couple of additional points on forgiveness. Here we go. You ready? First, God's forgiveness of us is always undeserved. We need to remember this. God's forgiveness of us is always undeserved. Undeserved forgiveness is what God's all about. Is God obligated to forgive you? No. Have you done anything to merit His forgiveness? No. He does not forgive us because we are valuable. He does not forgive us because of, his, of anything in us. He forgives us because of His character, who He is. He forgives us when we repent. Yes, but we must remember something. We repent because He gave us repentance. Fact. Yes, we repent and He forgives. But we repent because He gave forgiveness, uh, repentance. <laughs> so He approached us first before we approached Him. <laughs> he wooed us to Himself and so therefore we went, I'm wrong, please forgive me. So it's always undeserved. Genuine repentance towards God is a gift from God. It's found several places in the Bible. He forgives us as we confess our sins, yes. And to confess our sins means to agree with God over our sins. And it is conditioned on our repentance. But, again, the repentance happens because of Him. When he forgives us, there can still be a time of chastening and disciplining us, right? By the way, you want to see whether or not you're really genuine and repentant? You ready? Want to see? You go to God and you say this. God, I've sinned. Do whatever it takes to keep me from doing this again. And you get exposed. And you go... Ouch! No! 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 I don't want this! No! I don't want that! Then what are you saying? You're not really saying, I deserve full. You're saying, no, I don't want the chastening. Listen, repentance includes a desire to be chastened if that's what it takes to get you to stop. How many kids are... How many kids have got that? Is, is there any kid in the room that gets this? Where they go, hopefully some of you, and the parent says, man, that was so disrespectful to your mommy. That was so dishonoring to God. I cannot let you go with this. And they say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Dad, will you just give me some spanking so that I will learn? Any of us do that? Any kids in here? Please just give me some spanking so I can learn. I need to learn. It's going to hurt, but I need to learn. Ladies and gentlemen, so we've got to be careful of bucking against the consequences of our sin. Because after all, those consequences are the very thing God's using to teach us not to do it again. Please, God, chasten us because we want to know you. Second, forgiveness of us is seen in two different levels. Oh, this is so important. Man, you can see this is just a gigantic subject. It's good stuff, though. I hope you're getting it. Is this too boring for you guys? No, you're staying focused, right? Everybody's in, in it, getting it. This is so important. Please, I know I'm talking somewhat like a lecturer, but it's so good. 
God's forgiveness of us is seen in, on two different levels. This is important, positional and relational. When we repent of our sin and turn to Jesus, we are declared right with God, correct? It's called what? What's that called? Justification, thank you. All of our sins, past, present, and future, are, done, are what? Paid for. All of them are paid for. This means we are right with God positionally, correct? Now, this is, a, this is the position. This is our judicial standing with God, forgiven, paid for, correct? All right. But after we're right with God, we still sin. Those sins have already been paid for by God, by Christ. We are justified, correct? So, do we need to ask for forgiveness? <laughs> Absolutely. But I thought it was already forgiven. Why do we ask for forgiveness if something's already forgiven? Hello? Matthew 6. He's talking to believers. Our Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who forgive... Sin against us, right? Or 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Who's he talking to? Believers. So what is this? There is judicial forgiveness and or, and, or positional, judicial positional and relational forgiveness. Relational forgiveness. What I mean by this is that our relationship with God is damaged. It's not broken, but it's damaged. In other words, my understanding of God and my enjoyment of God and my, uh, my relationship with Him is damaged. It's hurt. It's strained by the sin. That still needs reconciliation. It needs repentance. It needs us to turn to Him and ask Him to forgive us. That's 1 John 1, 9. That, by the way, that verse, 1 John 1, 9, shouldn't be applied to when you first got saved. <laughs> That's the ongoing confession of sin. But it's still based on the same truth. Now listen to me. This is where a lot of people, they show this distinction, but then they don't bring in the cross. It's still going back to the cross. It's still remembering the gospel. Even in our relational, when I sin, I go, oh, more sin on your son. Oh, God, forgive me. Even though that's already paid for, even though I'm declared right, it's still back to the cross. It's an ongoing relational understanding of forgiveness. What happens when we sin against God if we're a believer? We don't enjoy fellowship with Him anymore. We don't enjoy His Word. We don't enjoy praying it's complete, is it completely broken? No, but it's definitely strained, correct? This is why repentance is necessary. So there are two different types of forgiveness, positional and relational. I believe there's a third kind of sin, too, that God forgives. It's all those sins we have yet to be confronted by the Word of God or other people. There are sins like that. They could be sins of omission. What's omission? Not doing something. Okay? Those are the sins of not doing something we should do. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I am convinced. More and more, we had this debate when we were in seminary. Does God confront us of every sin? No. No, He doesn't. Man... Do you see that things that you are confronted by today and the sins that you are confronted by today are some things that you did before that you had no idea were even sin? Do you see that? So, did you ask for forgiveness for that specific time you did it back then? Was it paid for? Yes! By Christ at the cross. It was forgiven. But ultimately, sometimes these things don't come until later before you repent of them. And even then, it's got to be this broad brush. <laughs> Lord, I've been doing this for a while. I can't even remember the number of times I've done this. 
So you got forgiveness today. Listen, you got forgiveness today? At least it was paid for at the cross. Things that you did today that you aren't going to be confronted on and you might not get until later. They're there. You did them. I think one of the prime ones is this omission thing. How many of you were just absolutely honoring and praising God with all your thoughts today? See, I don't know about you, but the more I study the Bible, the more I think, man, I've got a long ways to go. I'm a sinful person. But God is so merciful and so gracious to me and so kind and constantly. And I believe, actually, there are going to be days, there are going to be sins that we do that we don't get confronted by. Really? Well... I just got to believe that, and here's a prime one, is doctrinal issues. Let me ask you a question. If you preach something or teach something or tell your kids something that doesn't line up with Scripture, and you studied it your whole life, and you were sure that that's what it was, you must baptize your baby. Just give an example. You've got to do this. We are commanded to do this. And you get to heaven, okay? You get to heaven. There is going to be some eyes lighting up and going, whoa. Now, it might be us Baptists. I don't think so. (laughs) Don't think so. I'm almost sure of it. (laughs) Or it could be those Presbyterians. Their eyes open up. But if you taught something that goes against God's word, let me ask you a question. Is that sin? I think it is. If I say, thus says the Lord, and it's not what it says, is that sin? Man, does that give you chill bumps a little bit? It does me. I'm standing up here teaching you, thus says the Lord. Does God allow those things? Yes. Is it paid for at the cross? Absolutely. Did I, does is John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul going to repent of their understanding of this before they die? Probably not. Are we getting this? I still think it's sin. Name it what it is, right? So how does this apply to our relationships with others? I think, listen to me closely, our forgiveness of others is very similar to God's forgiveness of us. After all, that's what it says. Which means there's different types of forgiveness, for lack of a better term. Now, I know some of you are going to argue with me, and that's fine. I don't care. It's okay. That's okay. Study it. You might get it better than me, and that's okay. You be good Bereans, disagree with me. That's okay. You study it, you figure it out. When we get to heaven, we'll figure out which one was right. That's okay. I'm doing my best to study this. So I think, and this is my take, our forgiveness breaks down into two main categories. Sometimes forgiveness is conditional on repentance and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's conditional and sometimes it's not. That's my take. Doesn't mean it's I'm going to die on the hill, but I think that this this is where I'm landing. Okay? By the way, don't go to a lexicon, whatever you do. Because if you go to a lexicon and look at the Greek word for forgiveness, that word is used for all kinds of things, like allowing certain things, you know, letting something go. The guy, you know... Jesus allowed him to go to the temple. <laughs> That's the same Greek word. Wait, what? Let go, forgiveness. So the word is very broad. You can't take a Greek word there, especially this one, and get what the meaning is by itself. You've got to look at all the passages and see what the context is. So sometimes forgiveness is conditional. That's Matthew 18 and Luke 17. 
And sometimes forgiveness is unconditional. And just so you know, guys, that was half my message. That was half my message. I know that's crazy. I wrote last night until... Look down at the figure, the total. I look at my words, and it's 6,400 words. And I'm like, no way I'm going to do that in an hour. So, again, this topic has exploded in my mind. The implications of it are staggering. They are staggering and so very important. Let's go ahead and pray. I'm not going to kill you anymore with long sermon Theologically, though, I'll pick up a little bit and I'll deal with it a little bit more next week. I don't usually fall into this trap of one verse taught for three hours. Please forgive me. Try to get the big picture next week. Try to back out a little bit. Will you forgive me for getting down into the... I'm in the worm dirt. I'm in the worm. Okay, you all forgive me. <laughs> Sometimes it's, I'm conditional. It's repenting. I'm repenting. I'm repenting. <laughs> he, said, he said, no, I'm not going to forgive you. It's conditional. i got to really repent. <laughs> all right. Y'all, y'all get this? I think this is important, though, and we really need to work on it. We need to think on it. I want you to meditate on it, okay? All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace and your kindness towards us. Lord, we know for, for a fact, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that our forgiveness is based, your forgiveness of us is based totally on your character, not ours. And we are right with you only because of your goodness and grace. You are so long-suffering towards us, so kind towards us. Oh, God, please, please, God, have mercy on us. We love you. We commit this day to you. We ask that you be glorified in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.